Chapter 1 Within weeks, letters would be burned, pages torn, photographs ripped in two. Names would be banished, memories abandoned and history rewritten again. Within weeks, promises would be broken and hearts made fit to bleed. But for now, there was little movement or sound. The countryside languished, golden and fading and imbued with the lassitude of weeks of unwavering heat. High above, the cerulean sky remained unmoved. It had been there early, stretching itself from treetop to treetop, resolute, unbroken, never touching parched earth. Only the rat-a-tat-tat of a woodpecker interrupted the wood pigeon's lullaby coo. It was shortly before noon. Sylvia would remember this, the time of her arrival, ever after, because she would later write it down, along with the words and events of that day, and the rest. She would, for years to come, ponder upon whether she could have, should have, done things differently. But when she stepped down from the vehicle, her heart knew only love. As the wagonette disappeared back down the curving driveway, she gazed up at the house, smiling. It was typical of Cora to have played it down. Now I shall be able to imagine her here, she thought, lingering beyond the shadow of the building. Ahead of her, the front door and glazed inner door stood open. It was fine weather and they were expecting her. But still, it seemed a tad foolhardy, reckless even to her. Anyone at all could walk in. The hallway was dark and cool, the place silent, and as she put down her bag, she called out, Hello! It is I, Sylvia. Anyone home? She immediately recognized the long, ornately carved table next to her, and, placing her fingertips upon it, reassured by familiarity, she moved along its length. A red leather frame next to a large earthenware bowl containing assortment of calling cards read, Out! A folded newspaper and yet-to-be-opened letters lay on a silver tray beneath an oversized and, to her mind, rather haphazard arrangement of flora. She glanced through the letters, brown envelopes, all bills, and then lifted her hand and tugged at a large open bloom, pulling it free from the tangle of waterlogged bark and stems, plunging it back into the centre of the vase. Raising her eyes to the wall, she gasped, it was not a painting she recollected having seen before, and was surely inappropriate to have hanging in an entrance hall, or anywhere else, she thought, turning away. Opposite her, a settee of gilt and pink velvet she remembered from Rome made her smile, and above it, the zebra's head, mounted high upon the wall. But hadn't Cora said she loathed the thing? Would never have it in any of her homes? She walked on, glancing through open doorways into tall, sunlit rooms, revealing more familiar, polished mahogany, magnificent antiques, glinting crystal and objets d'art. She smiled at Gio and Louis, Cora's two beloved pugs, stuffed by a renowned Parisian taxidermist and now sitting either side of an ottoman, staring glassy-eyed at the empty hearth, half expecting the little things to scramble to their feet and clip-clap across the ebonized floorboards to greet her once more, Oh, but it was marvellous to be in a place where one could immediately connect with so much of it. Almost like coming home, she thought. And yet, it was queer to see it all again, together, here, in this place. Cora's world could never have fitted into any cottage, 
A cottage indeed, she said, shaking her head. Cora was a collector, a traveller, and her new home was testament to this. Each of her homes, her apartments in Paris and Rome, her chateau in the Loire, had surely been testament to this. And though Cora had never planned to return, had vowed she would die in Rome, circumstances, tragic as they were, had dictated otherwise, and Sylvia had secretly been pleased, for Cora was finally back in England, and back for good. A young male voice broke through the silence, and she turned. "'You must be Sylvia,' he said. "'I'm Jack.' "'Jack.' "'So this was he.' "'Ah, yes.' She could see the resemblance. He smiled and stretched.